Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone, and welcome to another session of Friday Finance on Cash Talk. And today we're actually doing this in person for the first time since we started the uh, sessions, and it's really good to be in the flesh and obviously discussing this. So, Mason, thanks for joining me in the flesh today. No, no worries. Also, nice to get down in Melbourne. Ah, that's it. That's it. And today we're doing uh, pretty much an extension of a podcast that we did a couple of weeks ago, which was around. Uh, growth stage strategies and um, really when we're talking about growth stage we're talking about people who have a um, a good surplus in cash flow they're saving they're paying down debt and they're building wealth but it's really around what's next and we really want to kind of get deep into that because there's a lot of moving parts for these people so Mason when we talk about these people like and we're talking about this let's say they've got their basic strategy in play they've got their normal strategies they might have a financial plan already but these people at one point in time are looking to accelerate that and kind of take that to the next level. So they might have the, you know, their insurances done, they've got the cash flow plan, they've got their investment kind of basic plan done. They might even have their estate planning. They've probably even got a debt strategy, like as in a basic debt reduction strategy. But what's next? It's a really good point. I think once you've got those foundations in place, it's somewhat, what is next? It seems to be that's, is this what we do forever or is there more, more steps? And the good news is there are more steps, which is fantastic. We can look at maximizing our super contributions. Is that catch-up contribution mm. as well? Maybe we're gonna maximize those catch-ups and we can talk about a debt recycling strategy. Maybe mm. franking credits come involved as well. Mm. Um, an income bucket as we, mm. as, we, as we discussed in the past as well. A growth bucket. Mm. Again, it comes down to the goals. I know we always go back to the goals, but it really does come down to the goals and what the client actually does want to achieve. Mm-hmm. But once we know that, then some of these other strategies really come into effect and we mm. can really really hone in and then what you'll see john is that you'll go from one to five like it's just yeah. the, the growth just goes crazy once you get to this stage i guess mm. getting to this stage mm-hmm. well done mm. but now we're going to really really hone in mm-hmm. and create some really great wealth and mm-hmm. really supercharge the plan yeah correct and so when they've got those foundations and we're looking to maximize things it's probably pretty important that there's some kind of eligibility that we go through before we start accelerating these strategies and one of the big ones is around the risks as well too because if you want to put the foot on the gas it's like you're being in a car like the quicker you go the more risks there are of potential accident and whatnot so risk is obviously one of them that we need to take into consideration but risk is not just a risk profile there's there's behavioral stuff and there's education and financial literacy that sits in behind behind that doesn't it 100 percent. yeah as you said it's not just about risk in terms of asset classes and yeah. things it's duration mm. it's do i like having debt because mm. a lot of these acceleration strategies in, involve leverage yeah so knowing knowing who you are mm-hmm. in that journey it's it's so crucial to this, yeah. this step. And you can't really pretend in this. This is the biggest thing. So when you're talking about accelerating, you're going to be taking on more risk, okay? which potentially means more reward, but it could also mean potentially more loss as well. And the other thing is to understand is, do you need to take on that risk as well too? So you should never be increasing your risk just for the sake of increasing your risk. Yeah, it's a matter about meeting a goal that you talked about before. So there's behaviors, there's horizons, there's, there's um, you, you know, your cash flow requirements. There's a lot of moving parts, but behaviorally and educationally, 
you need to be in the right position to be able to do this. So we assume that, let's talk about these people. Let's say they've, they've got their plan, they've been educated well, they're emotionally, they're not emotionally investing, they're logical, they've, they're really at the point where we believe that they take it up to that next level. Really, we're now looking at the numbers, aren't we? We're looking at their cash flows. We're looking at things like their loan-to-value ratios. We're really looking that are they in a comfortable position to consume more risk to potentially get the more reward. 100%, what we don't want to happen is to go down the path of one of these strategies because there are long-term strategies. What we don't want to do is get to year one or year two and we have to change because that's where we see the wealth journey completely fall off. And then you lose confidence mm. in your ability to do these strategies in the future. And then what compound that over 30 years, mm-hmm. you've missed out on this time where you could have been doing another strategy because it didn't work out that first time. So being ready to take that first step, mm. so crucial. And I think what you said before about the cash flow, that's the main thing. Have you got the cash flow to support it mm. and to be comfortable to support? We don't want to put you under stress mm. just to do one of these strategies. If yep. waiting an extra year, means being mm. the difference between comfortable and under stress mm. let's wait that year mm. that's right that's right and you know we, we talk about this and it's just like um going to the gym it just thought me about it like you can go really hard but you can injure yourself and that's the exact exact exactly same thing so there is some strategies that can be used to accelerate them um, and please remember, everything we say here is of a general nature. We're not taking your personal circumstances into consideration. And please go seek personal financial advice before looking into any strategies or any solutions, okay? But one of the more common ones, which is pretty much the buzzword, is around debt recycling. And for people that aren't aware of debt recycling, debt recycling is where you can use equity, for example, in your home or, or bad debt and convert it into good debt. And it's an informal way of talking about just using leverage and using gearing for investment purposes. But when you're doing that, essentially you're using borrowed money. So the good side about it is that you're not using your own funds as per se, you're borrowing those funds to invest, but you've still got to lend that money. Like it's still borrowed money. So when we're doing that, we've got to look at it and say, okay, well, what's the outcome going to be achieved? So let's walk through a scenario. So you've got a person, they've got good cash flow. And when I'm talking about good cash flow, we've done back testing with interest rates 3% above their current rates, which, which we commonly do, put buffers in play. They've really got to have money in a safety net as well too. It's not about like just being affording to have it on a month on month basis. They need to have money in cash reserves. Their safety bucket needs to be full. Like they need to be able to ride things out from an economic cycle. And if something was going to happen to them, protection is huge here. If something was going to go wrong, isn't that correct, Mason? 100%, I think before you consider debt recycling strategy, I think a must is income protection. Yeah. Because if you haven't got the income to service that debt, mm-hmm. it crumbles. Yeah. It all just falls away. So having that protection of income of, of your income, mm-hmm. and other insurance are important too, but income protection for this type of strategy, so crucial. It is. And you've got to be able to have that fallback position. Yeah, That fallback position that if we're going to take this, well, we're going to take it seriously and you've got to be making sure all your protection measures are in play. And so assuming we've got the protection measures, we've got the money in safety, we've got the buffers, we've done the testing in regards to the stress testing on above that we can then go recycle, okay? And when we recycle, we're also looking out for loan-to-value ratios. We're making sure that you're not taking on debt on a property, for example, that pushing your loan-to-value ratio, say, above into the 90s, for example. We're looking at healthy 
loan to value ratios, 50s, 60s, you know, max like 70 would be absolute max, but even then I probably wouldn't want to go there, yeah? So they're low loan to value ratios where there's a lot of chunk in that existing assets, which is usually a home. And we're pushing that into an investment. Now the investment choice is very crucial here, yeah? Because the reason why you would do debt recycling is you're doing debt recycling to help retire early. You're trying to bring that forward, not be 70, not be 65, maybe try and be 50 or 55 for these younger for the younger cohort. And so when you're doing that, you're not structuring this stuff in superannuation. The first and foremost is that if you gear into superannuation, it's not deductible anyway. So, and there are pitfalls in, in people gearing the wrong way. So when you're then investing outside of super, there's choices that we make in regards to the selection of the product choice, because now, yes, you're debt recycling, you're taking on you know, the interest burden of that loan, you now really got to be looking at it and going, okay, well, the cash flows are going to be supported by both the employment cash flows, but also if they can be supported by the investment cash flows, it's a win-win, okay? But the problem is, is that most people that are doing these strategies also have tax problems. So now another thing kind of comes out, which is now a tax problem, both from the ownership structure of the, the investment itself. Is it held in the individual's name? Is it held in a joint name? Do we have an entity that owns it? Does the inter entity have an inter-entity loan? So let's use a basic scenario and let's just talk about an individual with an individual because we can get caught up in the ownership structures. The actual investment's very important because you've got to look at the growth side of things and you've got to look at the income side of things, don't you, Mason? It's 100% right. So if we take a, a loan nowadays, let's, let's call it 5%. Yeah. If we're going to borrow that money, we obviously want to earn more than 5% over time. Otherwise, why are we borrowing it? Because it's costing us more mm. than it's producing. So <laughs> that choice of investment, you're not going to gear into a term deposit, are we? Mm because what's the point? Yeah, We're gonna gear into a, a higher risk type mm -hmm. of investment. So mm -hmm. you think your shares or your property, that's mm -hmm. what you usually gear into. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to shares, what's your strategy? Are you gonna to plan to gear into for a growth thing because your income's mm -hmm. enough to support that loan so you don't mm -hmm. need income from that investment? Mm -hmm. Or do you want more of an income strategy? So we're looking mm -hmm. for more dividend paying stocks. Mm -hmm. Those dividends can help pay down that, mm -hmm. that interest of the loan. Mm -hmm. So you're not so, so much reliant on your investment income. So mm -hmm. it's it's one of those things where you've got to really decide on what your strategy is upfront. Mm -hmm. And that's where a conversation with an advisor can really pay off. Yeah. Going over that strategy. Because um, I think a lot of times we get caught up in growth. But if we haven't got the income to support it, mm -hmm. then that's where it can we can really fall down in the strategy as well. So. It's not, it's not horses for courses. It's mm. very much what can we actually, what's the, what's the end game? What's mm. the end result of this? Um, but as you said, we're trying to retire early potentially mm. or create that passive income. So maybe having that income strategy is what we need to do there. Mm. And having maybe a growth strategy in another investment vehicle, maybe an investment property or mm. superannuation, whatever mm. that may be. And, and really what we're trying to do here is that we're trying to just build wealth in the most tax efficient way. like. We don't want to be making extra donations to the ATO if we can. So we need to be looking at it. Now, in regards to growth strategies, growth is only taxed once you sell. So if you're going into a growth strategy, you're looking to hold it for a long period of time and not realize those gains, yeah? And But with an income strategy, the income is passive, but if you've got good incomes and you don't want to be taxing at the highest marginal tax rate or anywhere close to the highest marginal tax rate. And this is where the franking credits are so important. So really trying to, and this is not by any stretch of the imagination saying that you need to go just into Aussie stocks, yeah? But franking credits can be very handy 
in this strategy as a complementary strategy in regards to that. Now, if you're going into property with a debt recycling strategy, which is also an option, okay, you do get some of the depreciation that you can get on the property as well. But remember the house value is depreciating. You're actually depreciating asset. It's the land value that's actually appreciating over time. So it tends to be a common thing that you go into stocks that that is the more appropriate one. It's just a matter of choice of in regards to, do you go into a growth strategy? Do you go into an income strategy? Do you go into a blend of both? And then what the requirement is, is the time horizon a five year time horizon, seven year time horizon, nine year, 10 year, what's the time horizon? Now, if you're working with a 35 year old and they wanna retire at 50, for example, your investment time frame is 15 years before they wanna start accessing some of that, that passive income. Now, if we're bucketing all of the money into superannuation as a tax minimization strategy, they're not able to access that money for another, say, five to years, maybe 10 years, depending on what the scenario is. So, oh, sorry, it's 10 or 15 years, depending on the scenario. So we really need this bucket to be that passive income stream. Now, usually what we do is we're not doing debt restructuring strategies on their own. They're usually accompanied by another strategy that we're doing because it doesn't hit all the buckets, there is still more tax efficient ways to grow wealth for these individuals as well, but can be accelerated because you're using gearing, you're using borrowed funds to accelerate that money. And if you're using that at say $100,000 of borrowed money, yeah, if that's getting a capital return of say 5% of a capital return, you know, you're getting a nice little leg up there on money that you didn't have, okay? But you've got to support the loans and especially as rates are rising, you need to have good cash flow and the ability to service that loan regardless of what's going on in the investment world. Well, I'm saying, and good, strong job security too, because at the moment there's mm. a lot, some layoffs we're seeing in the media and things. Mm. So this is something we've got to consider. How strong is my job security? Because what we don't want to happen is redundancy, because mm -hmm. then all the strategy, again, falls down. So we keep, I, keep, I keep harping on the risk because mm. it's before you get into this, you need to be sure, like you really need to be sure, because a debt recycling strategy is definitely not for everyone. Mm -hmm. Even if you do have strong cash flow, mm -hmm. as we talked on before, if your risk profile doesn't match it, like if you don't like having debt in your mind, maybe it's a financial literacy thing mm. first, mm. get that education up, then going into it, I think. Mm. Um, but I think as well, what you mentioned before regarding franking credits, mm. something that's not really well known in the in um, financial circles, I don't think, um, about how these actually work. Mm. So a frank credits, oh, uh, the question to you, John, is a frank credit just for Australian stocks or can we get frank credits from international stocks? How does that sort of work? Yeah, so this is this is an Australian stock thing because what happens is a franken credit is essentially just the, the tax that's already been paid on the share itself. So if you've if you've received a dividend of say a hundred dollars and it's it's fully franked, that will be accompanied by a um, a thirty dollar kind of imputation credit or a franking credit. And so when you then take that into your own name and let's say you're taxed at forty six cents in the dollar, forty seven or forty six and a half, well then you're only paying tax on the 16 and a half of that money. So it's tax efficient because essentially the company's paying it on, on your behalf for you. Now, if you're under that tax bracket, and this is where it's really cool, yeah? Like once you stop work, you're getting that full, if, you're, if your tax rate's zero, yeah, normal tax, you're getting all of that as a, as a free hit. So especially once you're in that financial freedom stage, this can also work as a supplementary way of, of getting nice, easy money on the way out. Yeah, well, so if, I've, if I'm hearing you correctly, so if we look at the dividend yield of a company, let's, mm. let's go CBA Bank, because they're mm -hmm. a well-known bank, and mm -hmm. typically well-known for paying out a mm -hmm. nice dividend. Mm -hmm. If we see a dividend yield of, say, 4%, mm -hmm. 
if we take into account the frame credit, does that mm -hmm. mean my dividend yield also increases? Yes, correct. So you're getting above and beyond that because you're getting you're getting the the you're getting the dividend plus the imputation credit. Yeah, so very very good income strategy. Just got to obviously be used wisely depending on the person scenario. Yeah, um, because it's remember it's income that's taxed not capital growth. Capital growth only happens when you're realizing that scenario. So it's got to be played in with another growth strategy as well. You can't just have an income strategy and have a growth strategy to be really be accelerating. The other thing as well too, with a lot of the clients that we work with is we wouldn't deploy any of these accelerated investment strategies probably for a couple of years into the relationship. Yeah, because we really want to get to know them and prep them with the financial literacy and the right behaviors and the right structures before we start really taking on these accelerated ones. Because, and also as well too, so it's not just, the, so that the selection's important, but like I said before, it's the behavior and the financial literacy to really take this to a whole new level. So really, really great strategy, really, really powerful. Um, and it's something that we consider for people in this growth stage to really get them to financial freedom, which is where they want to be and, and live that fulfilled life, okay? Um, but there is some other ones, Mason, as well, too, in regards to this. And, and it's not just debt recycling strategies. Like when you're thinking about a person that wants to accelerate wealth, you've got to take property into consideration as another leverage vehicle. And like Mason said before, leverage is a big part of accelerating. And that's where a lot of people have created the wealth. But, you know, it is like putting fire, fuel on the fire when you talk about this. So property is definitely another one, isn't it? It definitely is. I think because particularly um, in this, the Australian market, property is such a, a loved asset. Um, mm. If you haven't been on the ride, you've, mm. if, if, it's a bit of FOMO, isn't it? Mm. You sort of missed out on this fantastic growth. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing with property too is we can leverage more. Yeah. They don't allow you to leverage so much into shares and mm. for good reason. Shares mm. are priced daily. Mm. As we know, the volatility mm -hmm. is quite crazy. Imagine mm -hmm. having that debt there. You'd, be, you'd go crazy looking at yeah. it. Um, so imagine lending out 500K, for example. Yeah into a share portfolio, yeah, it's pretty pretty scary, but 500K into a property, mm -hmm. you're not getting that price every day. You're not having mm. that emotional roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And the banks like that a hell of yeah. a lot more. They're gonna yeah. lend you out a bit more money and you've got mm. no, um, there's no margin call yeah. either on that loan, so. And property seems to be a bit more static, let's be honest, because most of the data in regards to valuations and stuff are based on, back, back, uh, on backward data. So it is considered like, if you look at the money smart kind of risk return graph, property does see it, it be a little bit less, but once again, when you apply gearing to it, you're applying a magnifying glass. So you can emphasize, like you, you can accelerate the losses. And this is where the loan to value ratios are very important when leveraging into property. You know, if you're going on those back-to-back on -back the 90% LMIs, flipping and flipping, you know, you could have a property correction like we're seeing in 2022 and you can start to see that that really comes off the edge and can wipe out your equity and put you in a position where you actually owe more than you actually, uh, owe more than you actually own. But talking about property, property is really, really good because property is one of those asset classes that to accelerate growth, you can also deploy some other strategies like manufacturing wealth. And this is where it really comes in. And when we talk about manufacturing wealth, we're really talking about the renovations, we're talking about the subdivisions, you know, the property developments. Once again, accelerated strategies only can be with certain people. And there's a lot of time that goes into this and a lot of complexities, but you can't shy away from a quick reno implemented properly can appreciate value. You can't, you can't change the way that CBA share price is, for example, but you can change the way the property is. You can really focus on increasing your wealth. And a lot of our clients have very, very successfully done that, yeah, to accelerate themselves and put them in that position. But you need to know what you're doing, need, and this goes regardless with anyone, and get professional help to be able to do it. But that leverage factor 
being able to do that in the combination of manufacturing wealth in regards to property, it is a massive, massive game changer. Absolutely. I think to take a step back from that too, like going into property, one, you've got a lot of leverage, but two, picking the right property mm-hmm. harder than it looks. Yeah. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm getting the property and the property will just go up. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, even picking the right street, the mm. right suburb, the right city, you can see like that's a it's a minefield to go through. And a lot of our clients are working full-time jobs. Mm. We can find extra time to find a property. So I think mm. finding help in that mm. regard too, to help you pick the right property, yes, mm. it's an extra cost, mm. but that cost more than often pays for itself, doesn't it? Yeah, correct. And you don't want to be like, listen, with, with, in regards to anything, bit stocks, strategies, like you need to see to yourself are you taking an emotional approach on this or are you you know taking a logical approach and there's this this rise at the moment about like buying a rental property that you're going to airbnb because it's like half a lifestyle one half an investment one like nah you need to like make sure that this is the right one for you and if you find yourself getting emotionally connected to it you've got to seek professional advice to be able to do it but it does come with also some other benefits in regards to the property, especially on the depreciation of the asset as well too. So being able to depreciate for these people that are in this growth stage and get that tax minimization, you can get you can get very much cash flow neutral even from a cash flow perspective, but get some tax benefits on those on those depreciations. So similar like with the stocks, how you're getting the imputation credits or getting the franking credits on the property, you can get in, you're getting that depreciation. When we talk about depreciation, we're talking about you know the fixtures and the fish fittings like depreciating in value that you can then claim on your tax return to be able to kind of minimize that. But depreciation over time does dwindle away. So if it's a newer property, obviously you're gonna probably depreciate more than you're gonna be on an older place, okay? Um, but very, very important. And I kind of say, look, you can see this, the properties and the stocks, they've got to be used in combination, okay? They, like, I had someone the other day come to me and you know they had five or six properties and had no stock portfolio. You're lacking diversification and you're not utilizing the strategies together. And, and really, when, you go into, when you're talking about accelerated, um, accelerated investment strategies, you're really talking about customizing it particularly to the person's goal and then laser focusing on financial freedom and the way that we're gonna get there. But even though we're going quicker, having the right safety measures and diversification is one of those. And the other one is rebalancing, like big one. Like property markets screaming, for example, and going north. You don't want to be buying things when things are expensive. You want to be buying things when they're cheap. You know, if the stock market, for example, is soaring, doesn't mean that you're going to be rebalancing that way. So really you've got to be making sure that you've got a, a very, very good asset allocation dialed in to create the highest probability and confidence and certainty of getting to where you need to get to. But it is baby steps. Like what we're telling you, if you go and deploy that straight up, and not going through the process of the behaviors, the right education, the financial literacy, the risk tolerance checking, and I mean tested at checking, I'm not talking about just filling out a questionnaire, I'm talking about a couple of years of being up, down, left, right, seeing how it works before these get deployed, you're really setting yourself up for success, and I would call it like you're, you're likely to have a financial injury, do you know what I mean? Yep. And depending on how, that, how bad that injury is, are we doing your back or are we rolling an ankle, we don't know what injury that's gonna be, and if it's quite severe, it's really gonna knock things out the park. 100%. And John, I think a really common one that I've seen, I think you would have seen as well, is a lot of people in this growth stage focus on the number of properties we're getting. Mm. So I, I want to get 10 properties. Yeah. Why Why do you, do you think this is the wrong way to look at things? I, I personally think it's the wrong way to look at things because it should be over the, the quality rather than the quantity. And what's, yeah. 
what's the actual goal of property investing in the first place? Is it just to have 100 properties? Because mm. if there are 100 bad properties, mm. then I haven't really done myself any favors, have I? No. So always, regardless of what it is, it's quality over quantity, always is. Because you can buy a heap amount of specky stocks, for example, and they can fall all over. But the ones that are quality are usually going to sustain businesses and going to sustain for a long period of time. And when you're talking about property, you know, you want that property to be always in demand. And if it's going to be always in demand, you're talking about quality assets. Yeah, you're not talking about not quality assets. And you trying to find that next big thing is very, very hard to do. Like people underestimate how hard that is to do to find where that is. Um, and there's a lot of people, especially in the property space, that will come out there and tell you that they know the upcoming thing. I do question that for the same reason why I question, you know, some stockbrokers or whoever they is. Or there's some good stockbrokers out there, but some of the people that are spruiking stocks, like they know where things are heading. No one's got a crystal ball. Um, they can look at a lot of the data and whatnot, but they can help them, but they're still guessing. And we're trying to remove the guessing out of this thing. We're trying to look at the facts, the figures, and actually work with what needs to be work working with to get to where we need to get to. So going back to your number game, like... Before anyone comes to see me, I always see that I want X amount of number of properties. I want X amount of this. What we've really got to focus is what we're trying to achieve. Go back to the objectivity. So you want to be financially free and live a fulfilled life. Cool. What does that look like for you? Okay, that looks like this for me. Okay, I, so your passive income that you require is $100,000 a year. Okay, let's extrapolate that. 5%, $100,000 a year required 2 million bucks. CPI might be, by the time you want that to happen, might be four million bucks. Four million bucks, okay, cool. What's the tolerance that we, need, we can tolerate to get to where we need to get to? Okay, cool. Well, maybe that breaks it up to a million bucks in stocks, a million bucks in property, I don't know, a million bucks in Australian and fixed income, and then the rest in cash. I don't know, that might be where, where it sits, well, when we've done our due diligence to where it needs to be. It's not a matter of then going, okay, oh, I need to do 10 properties to get me quicker. Like, remember, we talked about putting the foot on the gas. Like, you go into property and stocks and that's it. You're putting your foot on the gas very quickly. Put that with the accelerated strategy in regards to gearing and whatnot. You're setting yourself up with epic fail if things go, go the wrong way. So, we want to create the lowest risk with the highest return. Okay? Not the highest risk for the potential highest return. So... Very, very important that we stay away from the number and look at the objective, okay? And the objective is to create that. Now, that passive income stream you need to support your, your lifestyle comes in the factor of growth and income because you can call down on growth and income's obviously the stream. But just remember when you sell down in capital, it creates an income which is then taxed. So we need to be mindful on our growth strategies and the way that that's structured and implemented. Very, very important and the way most people get it wrong. The income strategy, income goes directly on top of your taxable income usually, okay? So we need to be making sure that's constantly with the tax minimization strategy that, that's overlaid on that. And then you take into consideration the estate planning and the structuring of all of those assets because as you're building this, usually you then want to pass that on to someone else. So... As you can see, it's a, it's a complex area. It's something that I'm passionate about. I know you're very much passionate about and we can talk about this to the cows come home. But I think that's been really good, really good deep dive. Um, and I know I've loved it. Hopefully you've loved speaking about it. It's been great to actually be in person and, and talk about this. It has, it really has. It's, it's, it's a nice change of pace, nice new, new location. But I think a good way to finish this off, John, because we've obviously talked about a lot of things. How mm -hmm. about just a 
it'd be some people who are watching this to say, am I at this stage? I'm just just not quite sure. Mm-hmm. Is there a is there a sort of a checklist that we can sort of tick off a few things where someone might be mm-hmm. able to say, oh, I'm, I'm at this stage. Let's let's talk to John. Let's talk to mm-hmm. Mason. Let's talk to the team. Yeah, well, the, probably the Welsh scorecard is probably the best one, Mason. Like, um, so. If you, if you want to jump onto our website, it's just afagroupwealth.com.au. Uh, afagroup um, there's a scorecard at the top of the top of the screen as we speak, and you can essentially just click it, and it's a 40-question kind of questionnaire. And it actually identifies the different areas where you require attention. And when you see that, if you're like probably around like, I would say about 10 or less, you're probably more of the comfort stage where you really need to get to that growth strategies, okay? If you're probably between like 10 to 15, you probably, or even probably 10 and above, really, you're in that growth stage, yeah? But you really wanna be looking at that and it's a free scorecard, anyone can kind of use it, um, but, and I might at the bottom of this podcast, actually in the bottom of the video, include it so that people can uh, uh, jump on it, but, that's a really, really good identifier to just at least see where you're not looking at, yeah? But as well too is ultimately, you can feel it when you're in growth stage because you've got good surplus in cash flow, you're paying down debt, you're building wealth, but you're lacking clarity and you've just got so many different options that you're unclear of which way to go. That's a pretty good way to end it. I think it's a good, uh, good, um, good lead way into what to do next. Yeah, that's it. So thank you very much for jumping on. I really appreciate everyone um, jumping on today. If you want to know what's next, we'll jump onto another podcast in, in a week's time and we'll flesh out a little bit more on what's next, okay, after this and really how you're getting closer to that financial freedom and what that might look like. So Mason, thanks for jumping on. No, thanks, John. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at at the John Kasher, and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.